The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege uh, to welcome you uh, to our service this morning. And if you are visiting with us, you are joining us as we finish the book of 1 John. So I'd invite you to please turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 5. It's 1 John, chapter 5. The text will also be uh, projected on the displays overhead. And as you turn there, as we prepare to finish this book together this morning, uh, we will be diving into the theme of Christian confidence. So with that in mind, let us now turn to the Lord's Word. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sin, sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are good and that you write to give us assurance. You write, you give us your word to give us confidence in you and in your son. And so we ask that you would use uh, this passage this morning, that you would cause it to sink deeply into our hearts through the power of your spirit so that we would have confidence in your care and in your love for us and that we would have power to love you, to follow you confidently in return. We ask all these things in the powerful name of your son and our savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When our family was living in St. Louis, uh, one of our favorite activities was to go uh, to the Science Museum. Uh, they had all kinds of, of cool and interesting displays, and one of these displays was what I like to refer to as the earthquake rumble pad. Uh, this was a display where you would go, and there was a monitor uh, that would uh, project how earthquakes worked. And as you watched this display, you would also stand on this large pad, and the pad would, would rumble, and it would shake as it gave you a very small taste of what it would be like to be in an earthquake. That was a, a pretty interesting display, and, and standing on that pad and feeling the rumbles was, was kind of cool, or at least I thought so. But if you've ever been in an actual earthquake, you know that most of the time that is not cool. <laughs> and in fact, we, we know that in reality it can actually be quite terrifying. Because as we feel the ground shake beneath us, our confidence can be greatly shaken that we are standing on, on good ground. 
Now, friends, this is the kind of thing that can happen to us in our Christian faith as well. When our, when our Christian faith is shaken, we can lose confidence that we are standing on solid spiritual ground. And this is the kind of shaking experienced by the Christian church who first received John's letter that we're reading this morning. Back in chapter 2, verse 19, we learned that some of their members had departed and it shown that they had never truly believed in Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 1, we learned that there were false prophets who were spreading lies. And I imagine that these kinds of experience could have shaken their faith and threatened their confidence that they were standing on solid spiritual ground. And we are, we are no stranger to these kinds of challenges today. Uh, a trusted, respected spiritual leader turns away from the faith in Jesus. A highly acclaimed scholar writes a critical book or article that causes us to wonder whether we are naive for believing the Bible or perhaps that we have not truly understood its message accurately. The, the list could go on and on, but we all face these challenges that shake our Christian confidence from time to time. And so in this letter, John reminds Christians that his purpose in writing was to build up their Christian confidence, to build up their confidence that they are standing on solid spiritual ground as they trust in Jesus. Look with me in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. One theologian summarizes it this way. John begins to draw his letter to a close by reminding his readers that his purpose is to reassure them that they were right to believe in Christ and exhorting them to continue to do so even in the wake of whatever disturbance has recently troubled the church. Friends, this assurance, it's for you and it's for me today just as much as it was for our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. Assurance that no matter what troubles may threaten to shake our faith in Jesus, when we read the truth seen in 1 John and the rest of Scripture, and God shines the light of Jesus Christ into our lives through His Word, the Bible, we can have great confidence that when we believe in Jesus, we do have eternal life. If I was going to put all this into one sentence, this is how I would do it. This is how I'm going to do it. Because God has revealed the truth about Jesus, we can have confidence that we are standing on rock-solid ground when we believe in Jesus. And this includes confidence in prayer. This includes confidence in how we follow him, including confidence in prayer. Look in verse 14 with me. And this is a confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The God who assures us of eternal life also assures us that he is listening to us when we bring our request to him in prayer. Now, we need to remember that the kind of prayer that, that Scripture teaches us, it's the kind of prayer uh, that desires for God's will to be done. We see that in verse 14, and, and that is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray, that God's will would be done. And when we do pray, we can have confidence that he is indeed listening. So at our house, uh, we have a place that we refer to as La La Land. So what will happen, this is a little embarrassing for me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. What will happen is um, we'll be sitting at dinner or in some other setting, and uh, my wife or, or one of our kids will, will ask me a question, or they'll, they'll try to tell me about something, and I will be completely zoned out. I'll be 
pondering a thought that I'm turning over in my head or I'll be worrying about something that's troubling me. And, and in those moments, uh, one of our kids usually will laugh and say, uh-oh, dad's in la-la land. Uh, basically, dad's, he's zoned out. He's not listening to us. And sometimes it can even be to the point I, I don't even remember hearing a voice uh, speaking to me. And it's, you know, kind of funny sometimes. We laugh about it. But, but the truth is, that's actually a pretty sad place for me to be. Because it's, it's very painful for my wife and, and for our children to not be able to have confidence that I'm not listening to them. That I'm not hearing them. So you, you, can, you can pray for me, uh, working very hard uh, to get better at being present uh, with them. But I tell you that story to show you a stark contrast with what John is telling us here. You see, what John is telling us here is the good news is that God, our Heavenly Father, never goes to la-la land. God, our Heavenly Father, as we pray, we can have confidence that He hears us. We can have confidence that we have His full, undivided attention. And he goes on to say more about prayer in verse 15. There he writes, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, as we, as we read this verse, I imagine that there are different emotions uh, churning in our hearts right now. Uh, some of us may feel skeptical, or we, we may feel uh, confused, or, or perhaps even deeply saddened or angry, uh, because... Um, we or someone we know has prayed and presented a request to God. And it seems, uh, and as far as we can tell, that it aligns with his goodwill, it aligns with his character. And yet it seems like he has either ignored or, or perhaps denied our request. And this can be very troubling to us because it, it, it can feel like our experience is contradicting what John is saying in this verse. And so I want us to consider for a moment what it looks like for Christians to pray with confidence. Uh, even when it seems like our requests have, have been ignored or perhaps even denied. And the first thing I want us to see is that John is not saying that whenever we ask God for something, he will automatically give us the specific thing we are asking for. He's not saying that, that prayer works like some sort of magical vending machine. And, and we actually see this truth. We know that's true because we see it throughout Scripture. Uh, most strikingly, I would, I would propose, uh, when we see Jesus as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Many of you have heard this story before. The night uh, before uh, he gave his life for us, Jesus was praying and he asked God the Father that the cup might pass from him. That he might not have to drink of God's wrath by suffering and dying on the cross and and we know that God did not grant that request. But when we listen to the remainder of Jesus' prayer, we see and we hear what it sounds like to pray with confidence because um, as he goes on, Jesus then says, but yet, Father, not my will, but, but your will be done. Do you hear what Jesus is doing there? He is, he is making his request, knowing that God hears him, while at the same time entrusting himself to his Father. And friends, that is, that is what it looks like for us to pray with confidence. We pray, making our requests while, while trusting in his wisdom 
trusting in his goodness and, and humbly waiting to receive whatever answer he may give. In many cases, if he chooses not to grant our specific desire, we may not know the exact reason for why he has chosen not to do that. Other than that, he, he has some aim that we're not aware of. That his will in this situation is beyond our limited view. But even then, we, we can pray with confidence because we know he is listening and that he will answer in accordance with his good and his perfect will. But that's where it can actually get really hard. Because sometimes when it seems like God's answer to our request is no, it can feel like our hearts are breaking inside of us. And our, our pillows can flood with tears over the things that we are going through. And in those moments of pain and sadness, we can actually begin to lose confidence that God is listening or that his will actually is good. Some of you may be thinking of specific stories or situations right now. And I imagine that if you and I were to, to sit together and you were to, to share these stories with me, I imagine that you and I would spend a, a lot of time weeping together. That we would spend a lot of time weeping over the pain, uttering cries of lament for, for what has been lost. But I also hope that in those moments that our Heavenly Father would also gently turn our faces to the cross. Would He would turn our focus to see uh, what Jesus has done in the midst of our pain and sorrow. Because friends, while we may not know why God has chosen not to grant our requests, while we may not know why He has allowed us to endure this pain, uh, when we look at the cross, there is one thing we can know for certain. And that is that God's will is truly for our ultimate good. That he truly does love us. Because he went so far as to send his son to the cross so that we would become his children. One pastor describes it in this way. We trust him not because we can explain our circumstances, but because our God has revealed his character at the cross. Sheep trust the shepherd whom they have learned is good. And we trust our good shepherd because he has laid down his life for us. When we remember the cross, we can trust him to carry us when the darkness is too great to see our way or discern his. And so Christian, as those with confidence in eternal life through Jesus, we can also have confidence in God's goodness because of the cross. We can have confidence in prayer and this includes confidence, praying confidently for fellow Christians who we see sinning against the Lord. Look with me there in, in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. John is saying uh, that whenever any of us sees a fellow Christian sinning, we should pray for that person with confidence that God will give them life. Now, what does John mean when he says, give them life? Well, he's not saying uh, that our prayers are what give someone eternal life, as if, as if they weren't saved until we prayed for them. And he's not saying that the Christian has, has lost their salvation by sinning and that our prayers help them to somehow regain eternal life. And we know both of these things are, 
are so because Scripture is clear that only God gives eternal life as He calls us to faith. And that once we are effectively called, we, we cannot lose our salvation. And so John is not saying that eternal life depends in any way on the prayers of other people. Rather, when God says, or excuse me, when John, well, when God, through John, says God will give life to the Christian who has sinned, he means that God is going to keep that believer in relationship with himself. It means that the believer who has sinned will not be cast out and lose their eternal life. No, by God's grace, eternal life is still their eternal destiny. But if this is true, then what exactly is the purpose of praying for someone when we see them sin? When well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John writes that when Christians sin, ongoing restoration to God is available through Jesus Christ. And when we have that verse in mind, and then we come here to verse 16, uh, what we see is that God has designed life with himself. He has designed life in his kingdom to work so that he uses our prayers in a mysterious way, to bring about this ongoing restoration. When we see another Christian sinning and we pray for that person, God uses our prayers to bring that person to repentance. And so, Christian, when you see another professing believer committing sin, pray confidently for that person. Pray that, that they would be brought to repentance, that they would be brought uh, to restoration. Let that let that prayer be the first thing you do in those situations. Now, before we move on, there, there's a topic we, we need to address. In verse 16, as John tells us to pray for other Christians who sin, he clarifies two times that he is talking about sins that do not lead to death. But then he mentions another kind of sin at the end of the verse. Look with me there again at the end of verse 16. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Now, I, I imagine pretty confidently uh, that as we, as we hear that, we immediately begin to ask, what is that sin? And if I believe in Jesus, is it possible that I have ever or, or could ever commit this sin and lose my salvation? Some of us may even be thinking back in our lives right now, and, and, and remembering specific things that we have done. Maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe it was 20 minutes before you came to the service this morning. And, and maybe you are wondering, has that, has that sin, has that ripped me away from Jesus? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. John is not talking about some specific, quote-unquote, big sin, uh, as, as the theologian Carib Jobs puts it. Because remember this, Moses murdered a man. David committed adultery and murder. Uh, Paul, who is one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, persecuted the church violently. Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus, even swore it with an oath. And every single one of them received forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. So friend, if you are thinking of a specific sin in your life, no matter how heinous it may be, if you are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness and the power to repent, you have not committed the sin that leads to death. And you have been forgiven. 
with that assurance, with that assurance in mind, let's look at what John means by the sin that leads to death. And to begin, we need to remember the verse right before our passage this morning in chapter 5, verse 12. There John writes, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so from this context and other places in, in 1 John, we can say that someone who commits sin that leads to death is someone who has rejected Jesus as he is presented in the Scriptures and or persistently disobeys God and does not love their neighbor. Again, we are not talking about perfect obedience here. That is, that is not what this is saying. We're talking about rejection of the truth about Jesus or a way of living that, that points to a lack of faith in him. In other words, sin unto death is committed by people who, who are not truly Christians. And if, if you are sitting here wondering, well, have I truly trusted him? Do I really believe in Jesus? I, will, I just want to say this to you. If you want to believe in Jesus, if you want to trust him for forgiveness and belong to him, friends, that is a, a beautiful sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, drawing you to faith, that he has brought you uh, to Jesus and that you do belong to him. And if you're, if you're still feeling anxious about that, please come, come and talk with somebody. You can come talk to me, one of our other pastors here, or a member here at the church, but, but please don't suffer in silence because, because remember, John's whole purpose in writing here is to give us reassurance. He's here to, to give us confidence in our faith in Jesus. And so let's help point one another to that reassurance. And as for his comments that uh, he does not say one should pray in such cases, I just want to point out a couple things. First, John does not forbid prayer. He's not saying you may not pray in these circumstances. He's, he's leaving it open. And the second thing, if we are again thinking about specific sins, like maybe I shouldn't pray for this sin over here, or maybe I shouldn't pray for that sin over there, um, just remember uh, that Jesus taught us to pray for those who persecute us. Uh, Jesus, as he hung dying on the cross, prayed for those who were killing him. And so, so, friends, let us pray for those who sin against us. Let us pray for those committing terrible sin while also recognizing that a, a time may come when, when we can cease to pray in some cases. And with, with fear and trembling, let us seek God's wisdom in those situations and the counsel of, of others. But let us also keep in mind and never lose sight of the good news of the gospel, which we see in 17. In verse 17, he says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. When we are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. And so let us pray with confidence for those things when we do observe sin. And as we can experience confidence in prayer, well, we can also experience confidence in, in God's care for us. Look with me in verse 18. There John says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. What John is saying there is that those who believe in Jesus and have eternal life can never lose that life. Look back at verse 18 again. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. John is saying that although we, we still sin, when we believe in Jesus and we are born again as God's children, we cannot commit the sin that leads to death. 
Christians do not need to fear losing their standing in Christ. Because look again at verse 18. It says, he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. When he says, he who was born of God, he's talking about Jesus. And when he says protects him, he's saying that Jesus keeps us in eternal life. And this is exactly what Jesus himself said in John chapter 10. In chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so though the evil one may tempt us to sin and though we may even fall into sin at a time, our enemy cannot snatch us away from eternal life because Jesus protects us and holds us fast in his hand. And John drives this truth home even more in verse 19. There he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you see that contrast? Did you see the contrast of how the world lies under the power of the devil, but Christians are not under his power anymore? No, we are from God. We have been born of God, rescued, so that we belong to him now. And so our enemy cannot drag us back down into eternal death. As I was thinking about these these truths of God's rescue, of his his protective care for us, it it reminded me of pictures I've seen of of search and rescue teams. Uh, Some of you have have seen uh, video video clips or or seen photos of of rescue teams, uh, men and women who go out uh, to where people are in distress. And they take heavy-duty vehicles or, or boats or even aircraft, and they go and they find people, and they rescue them. And as I was, as I was searching for, for, for photos of search and rescue teams, I, I came across a powerful photo from rescue operations that were conducted during Hurricane Katrina uh, back in 2005. Some of you probably remember what happened there and, and the destruction and the danger that people were in in, in New Orleans. And in this photo, it shows an a, a Air Force a pararescue man who is, who is rescuing a small child out of the dangerous waters where they were trapped and, and, and bringing them up into a helicopter so that they can fly them to safety. And as this, as this rescue man was, was lifting this child uh, out of danger into the helicopter, he had, he had one hand wrapped tightly around their back, and the other hand was, was gently cradling their head, protecting them, keeping them safe as they brought them out of danger. Friends, that, that is what Jesus has done for us. He has rescued us from the power of the evil one. He has brought us under his protective care. He is protecting us. And no one and no thing can sabotage or undo his rescue operation. You are secure in Jesus. And so Christian, when you think about the sins you have committed, yes, grieve those sins. Yes, seek the Lord's forgiveness and power to repent. And also, yes, rejoice. Rejoice in the hope knowing that those sins are forgiven. Rejoice in hope that Jesus keeps you safe and in his possession. Rejoice with confidence in God's eternal care for you. And as we grow in confidence in prayer and and God's care for us, may we also grow in confidence in our commitment to Christ. And friends, we have good reason for all in, uncompromising commitment to Jesus. Look with me in verse 20. 
There he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Don't miss what John is saying about Jesus. He is saying that he is true God, that he is the one who gives eternal life. And Jesus, who is true God and who gives eternal life, has given us understanding. He has made it possible for us to know the one true God, to know him in the sense of of being in relationship with him. This is what John means, I believe, when he says we are in him who is true, that we are in relationship with the true God because we are in his son, Jesus Christ, because we believe in him and are united in relationship to him by faith. And being in relationship with Jesus means that we share in the eternal life that only he can give. And if these things are true, that Jesus is and has revealed the one true God, that we have eternal life through him alone, how could we not have confident, uncompromising, exclusive commitment to him and him alone? And this is the commitment that John is calling us to in the final verse of this letter. Look with me, please, in verse 21. John, with with love, says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, a casual reading of this letter may may feel uh, like this is a very abrupt ending. Like he's saying, Jesus is the true God and the eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We might feel a little whiplash there. Uh, But John actually puts that here very intentionally to explicitly state that our commitment is to be to Jesus and the truth that he reveals that we see in verse 20 and throughout the letter and not to any idol, not to any false god or Christ substitute that John calls us away from in verse 21. And these idols can come in all shapes and forms. Idols can be crafted by false teachings about God that contradict how he reveals himself in Scripture. So maybe someone does this by rather than seeing God as the only source of righteousness and forgiveness, maybe they're tempted to to trust in themselves and their own good works to earn right standing with God rather than the work of Jesus and the forgiveness only he can provide. Or or maybe someone struggles with idolatry by taking a good gift of God and and twisting it and distorting it, something good like like food or physical fitness or, or work. And rather than stewarding and giving thanks for this gift, we set it up in our heart as an idol, as the highest object of our hope, of our trust, of our obedience. And John is calling us to keep away from these false gods, these Christ substitutes, and this makes total sense. Because why would we even want to embrace something that isn't real? We shouldn't want to, and God, our loving Father, doesn't want us to do that either. And so in these two verses, John actually brings us full circle right back to where we began at the beginning of his letter as he points to eternal life in Jesus. He points us right back to where we begin by pointing us to Jesus and the eternal life that is found in him alone and lovingly exhorting us to stay away from anything that would challenge our commitment to him. I'll, uh, I'll tell you this one last story, kind of give us a picture of what he's doing here. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, our family went on this day trip one time and it involved walking through this field with very tall, itchy grass. Kids, have you ever been in a situation like that? You're just in this like tall, itchy grass. It felt pretty, feels pretty awful. Yeah, I see some of you nodding your head. 
Well, I'm walking around thinking, man, I would like to not be here right now. Uh, and so I looked around and I saw something that looked marvelous. It was this, this round plot of what looked like this amazingly bright, shortly cropped green grass. Like someone had started building a golf course and decided to stop. And so I immediately thought, well, that is where I would like to be right now. So I started running towards that, that patch of, of green grass. And as I ran and began to build speed, my dad saw what I was doing. He called out to me. He said, stop. Don't go over there. And so I stopped, thankfully. And I turned and I went over to my dad and he explained to me, he said, Andrew, that's, that's not grass. That's algae that's growing on the surface of the water of a pond. My dad, in his, in his love and his care for me, he did not want me standing on something that was not solid ground. He didn't want me standing on something that would most certainly lead to my literal fall into that water. Friends, that is what Jesus, that is what God is doing for us here in this passage. Because our God loves us. He does not want us to place our confidence in something that's not true. He does not want us placing our commitment in something that is not solid spiritual ground. And so Christian, where does your commitment lie? Is your confidence placed solely in the bedrock of Jesus Christ? Or are you trying to stand on algae ponds of idolatry? As you reflect on this, I'd encourage you to spend some time in prayer. Ask Christ to, to increase your confidence in him. To give you single-minded, steadfast commitment to him. And to give you strength to keep you away from anything that will compromise your commitment to Jesus. And as you do this, pray with confidence and with hope. Because Jesus has given you access to God so that you know he hears your prayer. Because Jesus has paid the price for your sins so that no matter what idolatry you may be wrestling with, nothing can snatch you away from him. And because Jesus has promised to send his spirit to sanctify us so that we are given power to keep away from idols and stand with confidence in our commitment to Jesus. All the while knowing that, um, that when we are, stand, that we are on rock-solid ground, that we can be confident when we believe in Jesus because we have assurance that he is the true God, that he is eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you love us in a way that we, we can't even fully imagine. And out of that love, you have sent your son, Jesus, to show us that you are the true God and to show us where true life is found in you and your son. And you call us away from anything that would endanger us from that. And so, Father, we ask now that you would, would help us to walk out of here with confidence knowing that we are walking on solid ground in Jesus and that our confidence in you and your care would be reflected in our prayers and, and would also be reflected in our commitment to you. Help us to follow you faithfully, just as you faithfully love and protect and keep us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.